Praise the Lord. We need to confess our faith, speak our faith, live it and know that, you know, God's doing a great thing in our life. We need to walk in it and praise the Lord for his blessings. Thank you, worship team, for a great worship. I'd like for you, if you would, to turn your Bible, be ready. I'm going to be reading some scripture from 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to be reading from the 15th to the 21st verse from the New King James Bible. May the Lord give you strength and your faith rise up as we get into the Word of God. Are you ready to get into the Word of God? I'm ready to get into God's Word. And I'm going to preach more on all in, a little bit more on the house, I believe, what I heard. Let's go to those verses of Scripture. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 15 through 21, a very familiar place in Scripture, but I believe God's going to show us something that can become dynamic in our personal life. I realized in my experience in preaching, when I was young, I used to preach just so I get everybody excited, and I, so I could be excited at the same time. But as I became more mature, I realized I want to preach something that God may be able to use it in someone's personal life, and the Holy Spirit will take it and begin to allow Christians to be better Christians and to be stronger Christians and for the lost to be saved. I want supernatural happenings. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm out of the game of trying to impress. I found out I, I'm not all that impressive. I'm just Ron Bynum. But I thank God that the Holy Spirit, he can fill in all the gaps and he is impressive and he is great. So, Lord, bless your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Let it come alive in our hearts. Amen. Amen. 1 Kings 19, 15 through 21. Then the Lord said to him, this is Elijah, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria, and you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, the king over Israel, and Elijah, the son of Saphath, of Abel-Meholi. You shall anoint as prophet in your place. Let me just cut that a little bit. And Elijah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose, na- na- whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. There's got to be something in there about the kneeling and the kissing, you know. I mean, it's bad enough to bow down, but when you kiss it, when you kiss that idol, then you're in love with that idol. You have relationship with that idol. It's not just bowing in reverence, but relationship. He said, but I still have 7,000 I've reserved in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Saphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. Now, the 12 yoke means actually there were 12 teams, and he had a team of oxen. It wasn't like I was, I was thinking to myself, man, you try and handle 12 oxen, you got to be Superman. 
But there were in this field, this huge, large field, these teams of plows, 12, plowing this massive field. And he said, that Elijah, the son of Saphat, was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. There's got to be something there. You know, he wasn't number one team, number two, number three, number four, number five, all the way down the line. He was 12th. He was last. But, you know, the last will be first when God's involved with it. So you might feel like you're on the plowing team and you're number 12. You're the last, but you're not forgotten. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again for what I have done to you. So Elijah turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh. I can't help it. When I read that verse, boiled flesh, I think of sloppy joes, but it's not. It's not sloppy joes, okay? But I just, you know, what a cafeteria is open, you know. Uh, But I just thought, and you'll probably remember that. Now you'll probably remember the message, won't you? One thing, sloppy joes, okay? (laughs) Okay. I got to find myself. And using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people. And he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. I will tell you, the servant he became, as Scripture says, pouring water on the hands of Elijah. Elisha did that for six years, serving six years. But there's benefit in the servanthood. There's benefit in it. You know, it's. There's benefit in it. The world may laugh at us and say, you're just a bunch of wimps. But the Bible says the meek shall inherit the earth. You know, <laughs> they have no idea who's in charge, do they? They just don't have any idea at all. Amen. There was a university professor who told his class that he was going to prove that there was no God. Then he looked up into the ceiling and he shouted, God, if you're real, then I want you to knock me off this platform. I'll give you 15 minutes. He kept taunting God. Five minutes went by and then 10 minutes. Here am I, God. I'm still standing here. I'm waiting. And after 13 minutes of this, one of the football players at the college happened to walk past the door and heard the professor saying what he was saying and doing the taunting, he suddenly ran into the room, ran up to the platform, and knocked him off the platform. (laughs) The professor got up. He was shaking. He, He said, why did you do that? The football player smiled. He said, well, God was busy, so he sent me. I thought I'd do that. (laughs) You know, it's football season. That's why I wanted to do that. Okay. But sent him. Sent him. You know. In our text today, we we read about another man that God sent, a man 
named Elisha. We hear a lot more about Elijah than what we do Elisha. In the book of Malachi, it was prophesied that Elijah would return to usher in the Messiah. To this day, there's a special place set at Passover tables in Jewish homes in anticipation that Elijah will come. And in the day of Jesus' day, the Jews were so eager for the coming of of the Messiah that they would often ask, they asked John the Baptist and Jesus if they were Elijah. Later, when Jesus went up on the mount, the Mount Transfiguration, he was transfigured into his glorified form. Moses and Elijah were there standing next to Christ. And in the book of James, we're told that we should pray the way that Elijah prayed. But Elisha doesn't get near as much press as Elijah did. He seems to dwell in the shadow of Elijah. I heard one man say that the first time he heard about Elijah, he wondered if Elijah was just a different way to say Elijah. But while Elijah seems to have dwelled in the shadows, God was impressed with him. Elijah had been a great prophet for a number of years. Where I read the passage of scripture there in 1 Kings, it had been a ride for, a great ride for Elijah. And he had gone down the road and he had just experienced a great move of God. He prayed and the rain stopped for three and a half years. He presented himself to King Ahab and the people and did a challenge on, Mount, on the Mount Carmel saying you gather all the false prophets of Baal and bring the nation with you too because God's going to show up and something's going to happen. He made a challenge. Notice that it wasn't that God just did something miraculous at the moment. No, God, God works in the midst of challenge and challenges. You wonder why you're going through what you're going through. God's trying to reveal his glory through your challenge. He's, he's not just going to hand it over to you. He's going to give you a lesson in the process. And your faith will grow that will carry you on to the next trip that you take. And so if you're facing a challenge, don't whine about it. Don't complain about it. Don't give up because of it. But realize, God, you're schooling me, aren't you? You're showing me something I need to see and understand. And I'm going to know you more now than I've known you before in the process. So God was taking Elijah and the nation of Israel through a process. And so therefore, it's through a challenge. God moved in a great way. They, re, they cried out, Elijah gave the challenge. Without me going in much detail, God met the challenge. Elijah the prophets of Baal had their moment of failure, but the man of God had the moment of great success. When he prayed after the prophets of Baal had prayed all day long and nothing happened and cut themselves in the meanwhile, screaming and hollering and carrying on, waiting to see if their God will answer by fire, Baal never answered by fire. There wasn't even a 
wasn't even an email sent by him. It was just no response at all. But when Elijah got up and prayed his 62-word prayer, after first he repaired the altar and put stones up and repaired the altar, poured water upon it, put the sacrifice upon it and the wood and poured and had them pour 12 uh, buckets or barrels of water on top dug a trench around it, and then he prayed a 62-word prayer, and the fire of God came down, consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the altar, and licked up the dust, and everything in the water was gone because of the power and the flame of God. When God does something, he does things in a big way. A big way. You say, well, he does little things. Yeah, but you start adding up those little things, you got something big. So God answered that prayer and great thing happened. But Elijah somehow was getting old and weary and tired physically. And in the process of that, Jezebel, that old Jezebel, the evil queen, sent a message to him saying, surely you killed the prophets. You wait and see. Same thing's going to happen to you by this time tomorrow. I'm going to hound you and hunt you down. Elijah got discouraged, got within himself, kind of got fleshy. You ever been fleshy before? You ever been, you know, kind of in yourself more than in God, in the flesh and, and responding in a panic way? Well, he began to panic, went on a day's journey and in the process of it, communicating to God and finally tells God, God leads him after he feeds him in the wilderness desert and gives him something to drink and gives him uh, bread to eat. And he and went on for days till finally he reached a place where there was a cave. And he said, you know, God, there's just nobody, nobody that serves you anymore. You ever feel that way? You ever feel alone? Like you're the only Christian around? It's like, oh, my gosh, the world is filled, of, filled with heathen. Well, you're right. It is. And we're supposed to win them. We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to win them to Christ. And so he was tired. He said, nobody's serving you, God. I'm the only one. I'm the only one that is serving you. And God corrected him. And when God spoke and spoke in the still small voice, and though there were outside elements that were disturbed and moved and sounded and things were moved and the mountain moved, it still wasn't God, until, but the still small voice was God. And God told him, said, Elijah, this is where we get to verse 15. I got something for you to do. You got to get up. You got to go do something. Maybe you're feeling defeated this morning because you know what? It's been a long time since you got up and did something. You got up and did something for God in the name of the Lord. You're just kind of riding along and realizing that you're just going to continually be in the sense and feeling of aloneness and defeat. God says, I want you to get up and do something. I got a job for you to do, Elisha. You're going to go do some anointing. You're going to set some kings in order. And oh, by the way, you go find that Elijah and said his name. Said, uh, declared him by name. Elisha told him by name. You go to Elisha. No mistakes about this. You go to Elisha. And you go and anoint him to be your person that's going to take your place. It was time for change. God was bringing about a change for someone to follow and follow behind Elijah, to follow Elijah, what he did, God had another man for the season. God will always have a person for the season. God will always have a person for the season. 
a person he will use, and you may very well be that person that he's planning and wanting to use, and we need to put our ourselves in that place saying, yeah, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do it. And after all that intro into this, and Elijah seems to be the one that dwells in the shadows, and Elijah is known. I mean, God sends Elijah. It's interesting that there's a whole bunch of other prophets around, but Elisha is the one that's going to get anointed to be the prophet. There were those even in prophet school that they weren't going to be anointed to follow Elijah and Elijah's ministry. But God said, Elisha, and there were a bunch of other prophets in Israel. God didn't send Elijah to anoint any of those men. He sent them to anoint Elijah. God sends Elijah to a farmer that's out plowing in the field someplace. In fact, it appears that Elijah geographically had to walk 300 miles to get where Elisha was. That's a long trip, 300 miles. But Elijah took that journey. And why would God do that? Why pick Elijah to serve him? Well, it first appears that Elisha was a man who was all in for God. See, Elisha was, was God's man long before Elijah ever came to visit. Elisha was God's man. Remember in Scripture, it talks about in 1 Kings 19, 18, God told Elijah, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth has not kissed him. It appears to be that Elijah was among the 7,000 that have not bowed. So therefore, Elijah stood for God, and he refused to bow to Baal. That was, the, that was a dangerous decision for Elisha to live in a land to be illegal to serve God and not worship idols of Baal, illegal to, to, to serve Yahweh, to serve Jehovah, but, yet, but you're supposed to worship Baal. And anyone decided to not worship Baal and worship Jehovah, then they became criminals. They were marked men. They were marked people. It was illegal. To worship God. You imagine where would we be if it suddenly became an illegal to be a Christian? Where would we, how would we stand? What would we do? It's, it's food for thought. It really is. It's food for thought. It's food for thought to think and evaluate and think of yourself. Would you be the one that still be like Elisha that would be among the 7,000 that would not bow a knee to Baal but would serve God no matter what? We have to be that way. That's an all-in person if we're dedicated to make our decision for that. So Elijah was a man that stood up for God in a land where it was illegal to do so. I got to find my spot. Okay, here we go. So that's why God chose him. First of all, he was a man already serving God, and he stood for God at the very beginning. He was God's man, and that God actually had called him at that time, that God was reaching out to him. Secondly, it was this, was that why would God choose Elijah? God chose Elijah because uh, he was God's man, 
and that secondly, this man, the second thing that catches my attention is that he burned his plow and roasted the cow. He burned his plow and roasted the cow. Well, it wasn't really cows, it was oxen, but couldn't find a word to rhyme with oxen. So, so you get the message, you get the idea. What else can I say? This was Elijah's livelihood. He was a farmer. I mean, just imagine some of you farmers out there, some of you people, how would you feel if God suddenly told you, you go and explode and blow up your John Deere? One of that. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. Wait a minute, Pastor. Get personal now. Okay. But he went and he, the question, you know, the question we must ask ourselves is this Is it seared beef or a sacred cow? Is, that, is it going to be seared beef or is it going to be a sacred cow? You see, calf worship was, had been around for a long time. The heathens such as the Egyptians and Canaanites, they practiced it in which they, they uh, built statues of bull calves and they were worshipped as symbols of fertility and physical strength. Aaron made a golden calf for the Israelites to worship. This act was born partially out of impatience. They couldn't wait any longer for Moses to come down from the mount, so they had to make a substitute because they were impatient. Well, that's a, that's a sermon all by itself. Don't allow impatience allow you to suddenly create some type of sacred cow in your life. Impatient because you can't wait on God anymore. Well, I guess I didn't get the answer from God. I didn't get the answer from God. I'll tell you what, if you wait long enough, a big 300-pound football player will come and, and knock you off the platform. If you wait long enough, just wait on him. God will show up. He's faithful to do which he's, what he's promised. He will do. Hold fast to that and believe in his word and claim the promises. This, this, this calf worship was around King Jeroboam. Initiated calf worship as a matter of convenience. See, we talk about impatience and convenience. Because when the nation of Israel separated ten nations and two nations in the south, ten in the north, Rehoboam was in the north, Jeroboam, or no, Jeroboam was in the north and Rehoboam was in the south. Rehoboam happened in the south to have the city of Jerusalem. They have the, the, the temple city of Jerusalem there for worship. Jeroboam, I'm just going real quick here in the book of Kings, talks about in 1 Kings 12 so much that Jeroboam decided, well, all the people are going to leave my nation go when they go down to Jerusalem to do sacrifice. They're going to stay down in Judah. They're not going to come back. So I'm going to build golden calves. We're going to make golden calves. We're going to put them in the high places before they ever reach Jerusalem. And we will promote the fact that it's more convenient to stop and give your sacrifice to the golden calf because it's just a few miles away rather than many miles away in Jerusalem causing an entire nation to fall under idol worship because of convenience. Let me ask you this. Is your convenience your idol? 
Have you decided to make everything convenient for you rather than in line with God and what God wants? Let me tell you, you won't find spiritual peace in convenience and, and with comfort. You won't find spiritual power in convenience and comfort. You won't find the will of God by the things that's going to make it better for you. Let me tell you, thy will be done. Amen. Lord Jesus, he prayed, thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. So you better measure things by what God wants, not necessarily what you determine what you want. Oh, he'll meet the desires of my heart. You don't really know that verse very well. He'll meet the desires of your heart because your heart is in line with the desires of God. That's when he'll meet the desires of your heart. Yeah, yeah. Some, some people come to me after they got married and ask me if it, it's okay that they go on and get married. I've had that happen to me. Some people decide they're going to get married before even going to God and truly, tru, truly to God because that's something they, that they want to do. Surely God wants me to have this. Boy, you better listen. You better pray and seek the face of God. Don't go after convenience. Don't become impatient. But trust in the ways of the Lord. Amen. His spirit will lead and guide us into all truth. Don't, you, well, surely I got to have that house I want. It's the one I want. I got to have it even though I can't afford it. And then I'll worry later on and lose my Christianity by trying to pay it off because I can't do it. Let me tell you why. To seek the desires of God in your life. You won't go wrong that way, amen. I got to get back on Elijah. I'm trying to get there, okay? And we find with the calf worship in the second Kings, King Jehu, remember, that's Elijah went and anointed him to be king, devised a great plan to rid the kingdom of Baal worship. And he's remembered as maybe the best of the bad kings. Well, the problem is, is that he boldly confronted Baal and dealt with Baal worship, but didn't do anything about calf worship. You know why? Because he was a king in the northern nation, northern kingdom, and if he went against calf worship, he would have to reconcile and work things out with the southern king of Judah, and he wouldn't do it politically. He wouldn't do it. So he just left it. What's it to harm? We'll leave the calves. It's okay. And those calves became a hindrance, and God judged Israel many times because of the sins of Rehoboam and because of Israel and because of those sins committed by offering up sacrifice and worshiping the calves. But Elijah, but Elijah shows us how not to let any cows become sacred cows. When he received his call to the ministry, he didn't just put the cows in the barn for a future need. I won't tell this on somebody, but I knew a man one time, he, he became Christian, started going to church, and he had a big bunch of collection of Playboy magazines. And when I went to go see him, talk to him and everything, he's a Christian. Well, why do you still have those things in the garage? Get rid of them. You know what? They become sacred cows. Can't really do it. They were valuable. They were worth money. Collector item. Oh, my gosh. Collector to, for who? The devil. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the guy over Playboy? What's his name? Hugh Hefner. 
Does him a lot of good to have that now, doesn't it? He's had to stand before a living God. See, don't let anything, though, it be valuable. If it's hindering you, it's in the way, you get rid of it. Get rid of it. You go and decide you're going to take the very instrument you used to, to have that thing and make a fire out of it and have a barbecue and say, hey, we're going to party because God has just called me into a meaning and purpose and a calling in my life. And every one of you, don't you dare go and hide and in a corner and say, well, that's for a preacher. That's for him. That's for her. That's for every one of us in this place. Do, why do you think Christ saved you? Do you think just so you can make it into heaven and you can be in heaven? Christ has saved you so that we all would become disciples and follow after him and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people who you work with. There are neighbors that you live around. There are family members that you have that are lost without Christ. You've been called. The mantle's been placed upon you and God has called you and it's time to burn up the plows. Let's make a fire and let's have a barbecue. And Elijah made sure that there were no sacred cows in his possession to give him trouble later on. Give him trouble later on. Well, I got those, you know, times could have got hard. And I thought, well, you know, I still got those oxen in the barn. I can go back and I go back to farming. No, he sacrificed them. He gave it. To, and it was a third thing about, let me, let me back up here, Romans 14, 22. This is a powerful verse of Scripture. Listen to what I have to say about this, Okay. Listen to what the word says. Romans chapter 14, verse 22. New Testament, write it down. Read it later. But in the New American Standard Bible, it reads this way. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Make your faith personal. It's your own conviction with God. You know, your own conviction with God. I got to look over here. I've been preaching these people all, all morning long. Let me go over here. Maybe I'm right-brained. I don't know. Maybe we go to the right side here for me. Yeah, could be that. I don't know. Make your relationship with God personal. You don't hear anything about convictions anymore. Why, in most circles, church circles today, people don't even want to hear that word conviction. I don't like it because it makes me feel bad. I don't like feeling bad. No, it's, it's no good. It's no good. It's, it's, I call it Goldilocks religion. Goldilocks. Going to go try out the right bed. She was a trespasser. Oh, but today she wouldn't be locked up probably. So, but... But she go trying out the beds, looking for the right. This one's too hard. This one's too soft. Oh, but this one's just right. And we can go through the porridge and, and everything, you know, and, and going through the soup and what's just right and just right chair. And once she thought it was just right, she broke it. <laughs> and so it's Goldilocks religion. It's, it's just not real, my friends. It's make-believe 
It's a fairy tale. There's a cross that was placed on a hill with a bleeding man upon it, not just ordinary man, but the son of man and son of God who didn't have to do it, but he did it. He suffered, he agonized in the garden. It was hideous crime. And I will tell you, lately I know a little bit about pain, so I cannot imagine the hideous pain the master went through to give us what we got today. And he didn't have to do it, but he did it. We didn't deserve it, but he still gave it. He still gave his love. He still gave his all. And if there be any motivation to burning up the oxen and, and starting a fire and having a barbecue, it's the fact that you serve a God that has already demonstrated what it is to give us all and to give all for you and I. Why do I serve him? Why do I preach? Why do we press forward? Why do we even do what we do? It's because Jesus gave his all. And I want to do nothing but lift up the name of the one that has done the wondrous work in my life and the one whom I serve. You can testify the same testimony. You're hanging in there because Jesus hung in there. You're serving him because he gave himself and because of that sacrifice, you and I have our sin stains removed and our past transgressions have been cast away and God has given us a new life in Jesus Christ, eternal life in Jesus Christ and honey, baby, if that ain't worth giving it all, I don't know what is I don't know what is oh cross of Jesus. I didn't even finish that verse. I guess I should. Romans 14, 22 says, the faith which you have, have it as your own conviction before God. It's you and the Lord, you and the Lord, you and the Lord. You may have your excuses. I just say, hey, give it to Jesus. People want to tell me stuff and excuse me and, and, and tell me all this stuff, excuses. I tell you, you just need to tell it to Jesus. I don't want to come to church because I'm doing what well, I don't want to tell it to Jesus. Just tell it to Jesus. Yeah. Because it's your conviction, right? Your faith is your personal conviction. And then it says here, happy is the one who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Don't condemn yourself by what you approve. Those things God spoke to you about a long time ago to not have in your life, it still stands today. Don't give approval to something that is going to condemn you. Don't do it. Don't do it. Now, oh, he's preaching holiness. Well, without holiness, no man shall see God. Holiness, and, and, and what it is, it's just make it your, this is your relationship. The devil comes tempting you, say, hey, 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 wait a minute. You're messing with my relationship, my convictions with Jesus, and I'm not going to give them up. I'm going to serve him. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose heart 
is loyal. You know what that word is in the Hebrew, loyal? Fully committed. In other words, all in to him. All in to him. I'm going to be loyal to you, Jesus. I'm not going to trade you off for something else. I'm not going to give you up for anything else because you're too valuable. And what that verse is saying, that God's looking for someone who is all in for him. He's looking. Someone who's willing to burn their bridges with the past so they can serve God now. Anything that would sidetrack them from serving God, they must throw that stuff in the trash because it's just a distraction. In other words, making sure that there are no sacred cows. I get up to preach, and what I get thrown back at me at times are the testimony of sacred cows. Don't you get on that subject now, because that makes me uncomfortable. I, I don't want to hear it. One of the most conflicting places to be is to be right here. Because the word of God speaks the truth, but not every man wants to live it. Not every man wants to live it. They'll, they'll even have church today. People will have church, and they can stay in church as long as it doesn't rub against them. But I want the word of God to purge me, to convict me, the Holy Spirit to have his way with me and to fill me. And that won't happen unless I'm all in. And you know what? Why was Elijah chosen? Elijah was chosen is because Elijah, with Elijah, I see people mattered to him. People mattered to him. He could have just celebrated and cashed in all that oxen, could have sold his oxen. No, he butchered that oxen and had a, a barbecue and brought everybody involved. Well, come on, come join with me, celebrate with me. That's why I love new converts in God's kingdom. The new converts, they don't really give me any problem. They excite me. They excite me because they're usually the ones that decided, you know what, I'm having a barbecue and I'm inviting everybody over. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited about this man, Jesus. I'm excited about the Savior. I'm excited about his word. That's why I love about new, new converts. We maybe have been down the road a little bit farther down the road. We've gotten rusty and crusty. And our faith has gotten hard and more judgmental. God bless the newborn with the precious baby skin and the sweetness and the coos, and everybody loves the baby. Why, everybody, if I gave a chance, I would lose your attention if I suddenly had Pam stand up and let everybody see that baby. Look at that, look at that baby. <laughs> where's, where's Leo? Leo get attention too. Leo, he's back. Leo demands attention. Don't ever look in the eyes of that baby. Don't, don't, because he'll get you. He'll get you and smile, get you, and, you, and it's kind of like a magnet. Gun. I gotta get close to this baby. This baby's drawing me. You know, don't. And then I told someone, never look into his eyes. Don't look into his eyes. Now I'm, I'm, I'm serious here. The fact that Jesus is the greatest thing of all, and we're to love people. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on your neighbors. Don't give up, at your, up on your coworkers. They need you. They need you to walk about with that man, mantle upon you and the anointing of God upon you. Now, I'm going to throw this question out. Some of you theologians, you great scholars more than what I am. I discovered and realized that, you know, there's nowhere in Scripture said 
that Elijah went and anointed Elisha. He went, now one, one speaker said, well, he did a special thing. He put his mantle upon him and that was something. No, I tell you what, when God says, no, because the word that was told Elijah to anoint is the word in the Old Testament. It means to anoint, to smear oil, to put, and, you know, it, and listen, in the Old Testament, you do what the God, the Father says. You don't compromise and go around. I don't know. I don't know where the anointing took place, but God told him to go and anoint him. Now, if you, you, you can receive this or you don't have to, okay? This can be a challenge. You don't have to receive. I'm telling you, you don't have to accept this, but this is what my imagination takes me. Here's a mantle placed upon Elisha, and he follows after Elijah. The Bible says pouring the water upon the hands of Elijah, serving him with six years being a servant. That the thing was that I believe Elijah was anointed but it wasn't big pomp and circumstance. It was anointing of a servant. A servant doesn't need the show. Doesn't need the show. It happens. The anointing's there. It doesn't need the show. If you're anointed of God, you don't need someone to confirm you and compliment you and build you up and, and invite a big audience and let's go on and go on social media and have a camera on you and you're being anointed. Elijah's uh, 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 one who's going to uh, follow after Elijah and hold Elijah's ministry and everything. If you know anything, Elijah had the right heart because when he finally stayed with Elijah, that before Elijah was taken. He said, what do you want? He said, I ask you that you, that the Lord give me a double portion. And Elijah said, you're asking a hard thing, boy. You understand what you mean? Twice of what God's used me. You want double that amount? Elijah said, yes. And when there was times that Elijah could have blown him off and Elisha could have left, Elisha wouldn't leave Elijah. And I'll talk about that Wednesday. No, no, it won't be this Wednesday, but the Wednesday after. But those places they went to and the opportunities where Elijah could have went on, but he didn't. He stayed. He stayed. And give me a double portion. Give me a double portion. Elijah's taken away in a fiery chariot. Elijah throws down his mantle. And lands, and Elijah, Elijah picks it up. Goes to the River Jordan at time before that Elijah struck, and they walked across. Elijah goes and takes that mantle and says, Where is the God of Elijah? And he smites that water and it parts. And the prophets had the chance to see as they were seen as a man who was a servant became a man anointed by God and used by God. And that was the beginning of a great journey God used him in. I'm just telling you today, I'm telling you right now, don't have any sacred cows. Pray to the Lord. Say, God, is there something that I am putting in the way between you and I? Is there a person? Is it a habit? Is it a thing I have? that stands in the way between you and I Lord that it's become a sacred cow and an idol Lord I now butcher that thing and I now burn it up and I give it to you God as a sacrifice because I want to be all in I want to be all in I want to be all in and let me tell you it ain't easy but it's worth it it ain't easy but it's worth it. It's worth it. Anybody give me a testimony? Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. How many here know why I'm talking? It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Would you stand with me right now? It's worth it. It's worth it. 
Hallelujah. 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 Don't let anything get in the way. Don't let any person or anything. Don't let a person get in the way of your relationship with Jesus. Why? Because like I read in Romans, this faith you have is a now, it's a personal commitment of your faith in Christ. Don't hand it over. Don't give it up. God has great things in store for you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Believe and know that God's called you. The Lord has put his mantle upon you. The Lord has called you and used you, and he will use you. Will the worship team come on up? We'll just worship the Lord. While the worship team is coming, I want to ask you this question. Is there anybody in this house, in this 